You're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered, my weekly podcast on being fearless, getting out of your comfort zone, and living life unfiltered. So I'm in New York City right now, and I've been wanting to come here for a while. I feel like I haven't been back here in a bit, and obviously I used to live here. So when I live in LA, I feel like way more depressed, which I've talked quite often about um, compared to when I'm in New York. So this is a little bit of a different episode because I'm not in the studio today. I'm actually at the Crosby Hotel and filming this outside. So if there's any background noise, giving you guys the full Life Unfiltered experience. Before I get into this podcast, make sure to follow This Is Life Unfiltered on social media at at T-I-L-U podcast, as well as my personal social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis. So if you guys might be familiar with a company called Fuck Cancer, it's obviously quite a memorable name and it was founded by Julie Greenbaum back in 2010 and I'm really excited she's here today she's based in New York but originally from Canada to take us through this entire journey what it's been like for her being a young entrepreneur going to college leaving college and now pursuing this incredible company full-time Julie thank you for being here thank you for having me I'm super happy to be here so take us back to the beginning of I know you went to college and then you ended up leaving but let's start your journey there when you had this exact idea yeah, so I, I was in college. Um, the idea essentially originated after my mother passed away um, in 2010. So I was going to college and obviously that tragedy happened. And to be honest, I, I, you know, I never really woke up kind of deciding that I wanted to start a charity. It was more something that I wanted to do to honor her loss and to you know, create a moment that my family could rally around and to really just do something uh, during a very difficult period of my life that would bring a little bit of light. And so we threw this event, it went really well, we sold it out, and it kind of grew organically from there. It wasn't with the intent or the desire to necessarily start something global at that point. Um, It was really just to have a focus during a difficult time that would would lift up the people around me and would honor the legacy of of my mother. So you were how old when your mother passed? I was 19. And how did that like mentally affect you? It was, I mean, it was tough. Listen, it's, it's a difficult, it's a horrible loss at any age. I think at 19, when you're still growing and you're still becoming, you know, the person that you want to be and you have a parent stripped away from you, um, it's really difficult. You know, it's, it's really, really difficult. Everyone kind of handles it in a different way. But for me, it just left me feeling uh, very alone, I think, at that time and really just missing someone that played such a significant role in my life. We had a very close relationship. She was my best friend. And so the the loss was incredibly significant for me at that point. Yeah, my mom lost her mom, I think, when she was like 20, 21. So I can kind of relate on knowing what she went through. But I assume that's kind of when you woke up and were like, fuck cancer. I mean, those are the perfect like two words to describe this. Yeah, to be honest, it was actually something that she had said several times throughout her experience. So there were one or two times in the hospital where you know, she was very fed up and it was kind of towards the end of of the whole process. And it was about a three and a half year battle that she had with ovarian cancer. So it's it's incredibly taxing and grueling for her, uh, for the whole family, but specifically, obviously for her. And there were just some moments where she would, she would say fuck cancer. So intensely and it was such a kind of visceral experience for everyone and obviously you know I've said it before and I'll say it again I think those two words embody the emotion and the experience that really anyone that has gone through cancer feels and it's kind of this unifying war cry so to speak um, that I think everyone that has experienced cancer can relate to so that was kind of where the name came from and and uh, 
yeah, I think it, it definitely captures people's attention, which is wonderful. Looking back, I know it's such a like traumatic thing to have happen, but I'm really a firm believer, and I feel like everything that does happen can make you and grow you into somebody that, and obviously you've started such an incredible project. So looking back, you know, is there times where you're like, this was so terrible, but look what I've done, and I could have gone in like such a negative downward spiral yeah absolutely I think I think I think that's very kind of indicative of of any experience that you have in your life whether it's a loss or you know an accident or failing out of whatever you know just having um kind of an obstacle put in front of you there were definitely moments where I I you know I I wasn't sure kind of how to react and and which way it was going to go and I felt incredibly lost but just coming from you know what I know that my mother would have wanted and what she instilled in her children even before she was sick was really this idea of you control your own destiny Mm -hmm. right and you control how you want to react in any situation how you want to choose to kind of move forward in any situation at the end of the day it's up to you to take whatever you experience and make that decision of whether or not you want to learn and grow for it from it or whether or not you want to kind of crumble and fall from it and I think having that ability to understand that the onus is on you and that you have that control is very empowering for young people and it's very inspiring in the sense that it's like what can I do from this loss and it's something I talk a lot about with friends and people that are experiencing it um, more recently you know we'll, we'll chat about loss and death and it's like I say I always tell people like if you can figure out a way to grow from it and you can figure out a way to let it like the pain and the negativity to allow it to fuel you to do something wonderful then to me you're winning and to Mm -hmm. me you're honoring the person that's not here to watch it in a way that I think they would be very proud of if someone's listening and is struggling with a battle like your mom had or any type of loss how did you find that fire inside of you to eventually to start this It's, I mean, it's a good question. I don't, I think that like a few things, I think one, there's no roadmap or rule book on how to mourn and how to properly get through that point. I don't, I think some people do it one way and it works. I think some people do it another way and it works. Like I wouldn't put, um, you know, a timeline on that process. Like I would allow yourself to go through those moments where you're super sad or super depressed or super uncomfortable and almost like give those difficult moments the integrity that they deserve to allow them to take you to a place where you'll figure out what you want to do so for me it was kind of just um trying to give each process the integrity that it deserved to kind of get me a little bit more on my feet and then I feel like once I allowed myself through those moments and I didn't just tuck them under the rug I actually grew from them and I had a a little bit more of like stability in terms of knowing who I am feeling comfortable about that and then I was able to move forward in, you know, in uh, with the charity and, and my career and my personal life as well. So for me, yeah, I think the biggest thing would be to give each moment the integrity that it deserves, for sure. Around the same time you had this idea, somebody else had this idea, Yael, who's yeah. Scooter Braun's wife. And you guys, I was reading over kind of how you guys met and had talked about this idea, but neither of you were in the right place to like build on this idea together. So how has that journey been? At what point did you connect with her? And then how did you decide to become business partners? Yeah, it's it's a really funny story. People are so they they love it because like you said, you know, we were two um, you know, two young girls. We both had experiences with our mothers having cancer and we had met 
she Yale had reached out um, about four years prior to us working together. Yale reached out and we chatted, you know, briefly about potentially linking up. But like you said, we were kind of at a, a place where we were both very fixated on our own brands because we had been growing it for a few years and we were very fixated on, you know, what we wanted from those individual brands. And there wasn't a lot of room for collaboration at that point, although we both respected each other and knew that, you know, we were doing great things in the cancer space. And so we kind of like left it, you know, kind of left it at that. It's super amicable. Good luck. Hope, you know, hope you continue on your, your path. Um, and then I think about three years later, um, you know, we, we kind of linked back up and we grabbed a coffee in LA. And I think at that point it was very clear that we both really, our biggest focus was to make the greatest impact that we could in the cancer space. And we knew that by joining forces, we both had like complementary abilities and she was focused very much on one side. I was focused very much on the other and we both really excelled in that, those areas. And so we knew by coming together, we would be able to have the greatest impact. And at that point, that was all that we wanted. So we decided to join forces and it's been a wonderful ride ever since. Well, most people would think like two young women, you're both probably not going to want to work together. Like one of you could be really successful and like let the other one fail. And and you did write that in uh, online in some of your bios that when you first initially met, you both kind of were like, well, maybe I'm better. And like, it seems like it was right. a little bit of competition. Yeah, I think at the beginning there might have been some competitiveness. Um, but again, it's kind of it's a full circle thing. And I, I, you know, I love that we were both able to get to the point where, like, as women, we want to lift each other up. Yeah. and We want to, you know, open the door for each other and kind of like put forth this idea of collaboration, of which I think sometimes in certain industries we kind of frown upon or we're nervous to do. Um, but for me, it's been it's been a wonderful experience. And I feel like it 100 percent was the right move because we've been able to do what we set out to do, which is to have the greatest impact through F cancer. And so I not not only have we accomplished that, but I think that we kind of showed by coming together, you're able to, it, it doesn't diminish you as an individual. It can just lift you up. So going back a little bit to when you were in college, you said you went for, I think a year, year and a half. And I, then, I, need, I need to get that half a year credit. Okay? So. <laughs> and then what, and then what happened and how did you decide where to go to college and what to study? So I was, um, so in, in Canada, we or in Montreal, we have this thing called CJIP, which I guess is pre-college, equivalent to pre-college in the States. Um, so I was studying psych at CJIP, and so I, I went to McGill in psychology. Um, didn't love it. I don't, now looking back, I don't think I'm, I'm an academic. <laughs> um, Most entrepreneurs aren't. I just, you know what, it's like, I always, I always did fine in school, but I would never excelled. I was kind of just always like getting by. I didn't really care. I didn't feel a deep desire to excel in that field. Um, so I went to McGill for about a year and a half. I didn't love it. And in that time period, I had started throwing these events and I started throwing these parties and they started really blowing up and gaining quite a bit of traction. In Canada. In Canada and at this point in the United States. Mm -hmm. So we had done an event in LA, we did an event in New York and it started gaining a lot of press, a lot of traction, started working with celebrities and it kind of went from, you know, a small town event into a big city kind of production. Um, and so I was at the point where I remember I was on a flight to LA for the event and I was trying to study for a psych midterm and I just realized that I was spreading myself way too thin and that I wouldn't be able to do well in both and I genuinely believed, cared and knew that there was something special in this fuck cancer charity and in the events model that I started and so I kind of just made the decision to drop out of college you know, give fuck cancer my full attention and see where, see where it goes. And you made that decision while you're on the flight? 
I mean, I spoke about it with my dad after, so I definitely, you know, landed and we chatted about it several times. And I have to say, like, my father was super supportive and I remember him, you know, he sat me down. He said, at the end of the day, Jules, school will always be there and McGill's not going anywhere. And this is like a once in a lifetime kind of ride and it's it's picking up and there's traction you know why don't you run with it and see what happens Mm -hmm. in worst case scenario you'll go back to school so it was kind of like having that comfort and knowing that my father supported me um that kind of got me to the place where I was like I'm comfortable kind of free falling and jumping into this I think that's so important because so many parents I think would be like and and many even my parents thought it was absolutely insane and I didn't go to college right I think there's there's such a better way to 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 view it that it's always there exactly yeah and he wasn't saying he didn't believe in education he wasn't saying I shouldn't go back he was just saying that if you have an opportunity and you're excited about something and you're passionate about it give it the give it that process you know so yeah I I don't I don't foresee myself ever going back but never say never and in terms of so when you first threw that event did you then have to go and establish to be a 501c which I assume you guys are we are now I was actually so the way I was running my charity prior to us merging I wasn't a 501c3 what we were doing is each event that we threw, we were linking up with um, hospitals mm-hmm. and we were kind of funneling it through their foundations and their 501c3s. So I would essentially just donate all the proceeds to the different hospitals in the cities that we were throwing the events and their foundations would take care of tax receipts mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Because running a nonprofit is not easy. It's not easy. There's a lot of paperwork involved. Uh, it's not my specific forte in terms of like the clerical work and the paperwork and how to deal with the government. I'm more of like, you know, the growing the brand and the events and the fundraising in the creative side so we have an amazing uh, CEO now Heather Kuhn who's awesome super smart and um, once once I merged with Yale she I believe had the existing 501c3 um, which made it super easy to kind of join yeah so then after you threw that first event you said you then flew to LA well I mean it would pro- I would say it was probably within the year so through an event in Montreal then through an event in Toronto mm-hmm. Ottawa kind of expanded within Canada and then we threw our first US party was in LA it was at Avalon oh my Oh my god, I love the it, Avalon. It was at Avalon. Um, it was super exciting. I think I was 21 and you know, it, it was the first event that we had pressed sure. and a red carpet and we had a bunch of, you know, B-class celebrities, let's say, or D-class celebrities, but it was still very exciting and um, yeah, that was kind of a big event for us and in the second year, we did it at a club called Bootsy Bellows. Mm-hmm which to me was the biggest event we threw because it put us on the map. Yeah. Um, we had a buddy of mine, uh, Stephen Amell, who's a board member who's been supporting our charity forever. He hosted it um, after the first year of his show called Arrow on the CW, and mm-hmm. so he had a pretty big fan base. And it was kind of just the first event that we had the buzz. It yeah. was the first time I felt like we, we just got the buzz, and I knew that that was going to help us expand in the U.S., so was there some way, like, in terms of putting these events together initially, I mean, you were so young, were you getting help from somebody, or was it, you were just doing it on your own? It, you know, it was tough. I definitely had, like, a lot of help from my family and friends. It started out as this grassroots movement, so I felt like a lot of the support I was getting was through friends and family and asking people, which wasn't ideal, but to me at that point, there was no other way. Um, I would say that a, a good amount of it, a good, you know, a good portion of it was kind of falling on my shoulders and definitely definitely some sleepless sleepless nights or weeks so to speak during Um, those initial times and especially after that first event I mean looking back what is the number one thing you think you would do differently and like feel free to no that's such a take a second and think about that question um you know people always ask me why do I I said questions prior to an interview I don't care 
whether you're like literally Miley Cyrus, I can't like, cause I, I come up with these questions totally. while I'm like interviewing you. For sure. So think about it. No, I love that. That's such a good, I actually never thought about that. Um, cause I guess it's, it does really matter at this point. <laughs> I think that I would have, um, to be honest, I feel like I wouldn't change anything because I'm, I'm where I am now because because of those experiences. And even if they weren't all positive and if they could have been, you know, kind of set up in a different way where I wasn't as stressed or I wasn't as nervous or I wasn't as spread thin, I almost feel like I don't want to go back and rewrite yeah, the chapter of, of no, that. That's a really good answer. <laughs> Everyone's always like, oh, the one like food thing. That's that that makes so much sense though because you yeah. learn so much from like anything. Exactly. So now you have the company and you've merged. So you have like a CEO and it's it's both of you girls working. Um, so you know what was the next step? Like once you guys merge and, and I mean, how do you make money off of this? Just for anyone who's like interested in the nonprofit or like charity space. Yeah. So I mean, you're, obviously you're allowed to draw a salary. Um, at a non-for-profit, there's definitely levels at which is acceptable and percentage-wise. And I mean, that's kind of across the board. So, I mean, we have, like I said, we have Heather, who's the CEO, and we merged. And now we're very much focused on early detection, prevention, and psychosocial support. So when I was doing these events, I was focused on research. Um, and then when we merged, we kind of shifted our, our goals and, and our focus um, within the cancer space because we felt like through going education and early detection, we'd be able to have the greatest impact. Um, but I mean, not-for-profits run like, like companies, you yeah. know, people sometimes don't understand, like they run through companies, you need to pay people to get the job done and yeah. you need to pay people salaries. Again, it has to be within a range that is, you know, within the industry sure. standards, which absolutely I agree. Um, but it does ultimately run like a regular organization. I think people get confused with the not for pro- non-profit and then for non-for-profit. Cause those are two different, cause a lot of non-profits make like no money. And then if it's a for-profit non-profit, Right. Well, you also have foundations, right? Yeah. Which, which give away the money. Okay. Um, we're yeah. a non-for-profit. We, you know, we do and we generate our programs in-house. Um, but yeah, of course, we have a team and we, we pay our team. Um, and I mean, for me, the the beauty of of philanthropy is is obviously feeling that you're making an impact mm-hmm. and that you're making a difference and that you're there's the there's a purpose there right and so you know that every day you're going to work and you're doing something that's going to leave an impact of course not just not just for like your exact focus but it, it kind of like if there's a ripple effect and so for us like that's you know what we're super excited about and i love being in the charity space i think it's it's a wonderful um focus and it's a wonderful thing to to give your life to so you guys are not just throwing events you're doing way yeah, we're, yeah no I mean we throw obviously we throw events and it's a main focus that's one of the w- ways that we fundraise but like I said we, we create these programs in house that focus on prevention early detection we just did a colon cancer campaign um, you know we linked up with a clinic in Harlem we did an uh, HPV vaccination campaign to educate people on the importance of getting wow. vaccinated we have an onco fertility program which talks about you know unfortunately a lot of a lot of young women when they're diagnosed with cancer they don't have the conversation with their doctor because it's so pressing um you know how is this going to affect my fertility sure so we you know built out a whole program an onco fertility program that kind of helps work through some of those issues for younger women so yeah i mean we definitely it's not just events you know that's definitely an outfacing part of the brand for sure and it is a way that we fundraise but our programs are really special and they're making an impact and um just kind of watching that evolution from the time we started till now and seeing the testimonials and speaking to people that we've helped is really I mean, it's inspiring. It's a really nice feeling. 
Do you think that there's one trait that you or anyone else in your company has that, like, um, kind of helped create the success of fuck cancer? Um, or, you know, how much, I guess, of it is also, like, hard walk, luck and how much of it is hard work and how much of it is luck? Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful, like, the, it, the, it has to be a recipe of kind of everything, right? It has to be that balance of everything. I think our team is wonderful because we all bring different things to the table and we all have different personality traits and different strengths that when you combine it, it kind of creates this perfect storm. So I wouldn't say it's just one person. I'd say together as a team, it makes us kind of unstoppable, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think... I don't I think it's a little I think you need a little bit of everything I think you need a little bit of luck for sure and timing but I think at the end of the day it really comes down to like putting in the hours and putting in the hard work and grinding through that uphill climb and it takes it takes a while it's also quite interesting that you got you I mean you started like back before Instagram was like a thing so you didn't I love meeting people who like didn't grow a brand Instagram yeah because it's like you can do it everyone I mean what you know many people reach out and are like how do I do this you know I want to sell like socks or headbands whatever and like nobody's following me on Instagram and I don't know how to promote it I mean as somebody who like started a very successful company off of social media how do you advise somebody I mean well first of all I wasn't pre-Facebook so I had well I that kind of stuff but like Instagram being like the hub for like yeah I mean that, but that's kind of why I love the story and I love kind of going back to when it all started because when I say grassroots, like it was actually grassroots. Like it wasn't grassroots with Instagram ads. It was legitimately like grassroots, organic, yeah. word of mouth, calling people, texting people, posting a bit on Facebook for sure. But it was this word of mouth sure. kind of takeover that allowed us to expand to, you know, through Canada and then to the United States. And then of course, as the years went on and some of these social outlets uh, became available, we would try and tap into them and use them. But to me, the events have always been this organic kind of coming together of a local community to support the cause, which is incredibly refreshing, uh, even, you know, 10 years or nine years later. So, so do you think it's possible to start a company now with social media and be successful, even though there's so much competition? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. Uh, but it's interesting because I feel like there's kind of now this shift in the industry where people are rebelling against social media mm -hmm. in a way where they're like I want to go to an event that's like off the grid yeah and I want to be a part of a social club that's off the grid so it's almost like the culture is kind of pushing back and being like not only are we not going to engage in it we want to shut it off um, but I do think that ultimately like those platforms are incredibly helpful in terms of building your brand and in terms of generating sales and I think that if you figure out a way to work the um you know work the system it can be incredibly beneficial for your growth what do you personally think about the fact that everyone's like now kind of going anti-social media and you've lived in like LA you've lived in New York Canada so you've kind of seen everything yeah. I mean is it like ridiculous and everyone's all of a sudden like tomorrow gonna be like back to loving Instagram or I I think at the end of the day it's like everyone's personal choice and it's everyone's like prerogative on like how they want to choose to live their life me personally I find that Instagram is oftentimes a negative effect for me and it plays a negative role in my life and I'll catch myself and it's honestly it's so it's so sad to say publicly but like I'll catch myself you know I'll go into these like rabbit hole like yeah of course just like, and then an hour later I'm like oh what my was god I doing? I've been on Instagram for an hour this yeah. is ridiculous and I feel as though there's this like drug effect that it has and I think it's incredibly unhealthy I think I'm definitely at a point where I'm starting to realize it and trying to like implement ways to to limit it but I think that it's like unhealthy and I think as a generation we're gonna wake up 
at some point and realize the effects in a way that we don't know what they can do at this point. I should ask you before I forget as well, like going back to the beginning, did you or at any point now, have you ever created a business plan? No, no, because I never like I don't I mean, but I think most people think like that's the first step. But I mean, is it the first step to me? I always say the first step is not like a business. It's like picking up the phone and making Mm -hmm. the call. Yeah. Like everyone's like, how do you I'm like, I literally called the club. Yeah. And then I called t-shirt manufacturer and then I called one kid and then I called it. Like, I've never made a business plan. Sometimes people ask me to write it out. I'm just like, oh, it's not going to (laughs) work. Like, this is not going to work. I don't know. It's just not my forte. I just for me, I'm like, I just pick up the phone. Yeah. And that's been successful thus far. Because I think people also think if I write this down or like I post an Instagram picture that like it's, now I'm like I'm doing it, but you're not really doing it. Like yeah. what you're saying is For what's me, it's doing like actually it. doing action. it. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the long run with um, the company, where would you like to see? Because it's already so successful. You probably won't ever go back to college. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> so not. what? Where would you like to see it in say ten or years or five years? I mean. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just the growth. I just want to see steady growth, and I want to be able to expand our programs globally. I want to be able to expand our events model globally, and I just kind of want to stick on this path of doing what we know we can do in the cancer space to make a difference and an impact, and then just building and growing. Like, there's not, like, this one major, you know, it's just this, I guess it's, like, longevity. Yeah. It's, like, a true focus on longevity and, like, stable growth is, I guess, my biggest thing for this charity. Where can everyone find you and the company on social media? You could check us out. This is like an Instagram moment. I know. I, I now our, it's I worth it, though. Ad, I give you our hashtag. Um, so obviously check us out at letsfcancer.com. Follow us on Instagram, letsfcancer. We also have our events page, which is at fcancernow. Um, and yeah, just check check in because it's. I think you know we're doing really cool stuff, and I think once people take a look, they're gonna they're gonna be hooked, and they're gonna kind of want to follow the ride. I have a question. Um, so the word fuck is my favorite word. So like if right. I go to one of your events though, yeah. do you like, is, should it be F cancer? Or do you like go for, full force and say like fuck cancer? Oh, we go, I mean, we go full okay. force. I mean, we swear all the time okay, on right. our team. It's uh, yeah, we don't, we definitely don't filter or hold back. Yeah. The only time we would have to filter is if it's required for like a news sure. station or an interview. But um, I love, I love swearing. I love saying fuck. And uh, it just works when you get to follow it by the word yeah. cancer. So <laughs> let me ask you one last question. Um, do you have any last piece of advice for somebody who wants to start a nonprofit and doesn't know what the first step is. I would I would say, you know, pick up the phone. I would say just make that one that one move where it's like call someone and I mean I I just spoke to a, a buddy's friend who's interested in, in not-for-profit and she called me and we had a, we had a really good chat, but I would say just like pick up the phone, make that initial call, figure out and speak to the people that can help guide you in that world and then just start start going. And if you're too scared, what can you say to yourself? It's, it's, I, I feel like any time that you in your life make a decision based on fear, you're making the wrong decision. That's what I would say. Good answer. <laughs> well, you guys, that's it for um, almost episode 100 of This Is Life Unfiltered. Thank you. Thank you for coming and for your incredible work. Thanks Seriously. So um, I think you're a great example, as most entrepreneurs who are very successful who have spoken to on this podcast, that you do not need to focus and like, rely on Instagram to start a company. Do the opposite. Pick up the phone, um, whatever it is, and don't rely on fear. Do the opposite. So uh, make sure to... do it anyways. 
Love it. That's it. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media as well as follow Julie and her company. Of course, I will always do a post um, with this and I will always put the guest information on lifeunfilteredalexa.com so you guys can specifically reach out to the guests if you feel like you want to talk with them about anything and most of them will reply to your LinkedIn, your messages, whatever. Um, And I will see you guys next week for a new episode of This is Life Unfiltered. Bye, guys. Bye.